morning and welcome to the Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris and have the honor of being your host this morning. Now, you already know, owning a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where everything HR comes in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We make things simpler. And this complimentary podcast is designed to keep you up on the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, you'll be able to call in and talk with HR professionals about the issues that keep you up at night But more importantly, you'll be able to hear best practices from other business owners that have been in your shoes. Now, this episode is no exception. Today, we're going to continue to celebrate this being uh, the month of October as Woman-Owned Business Month. And today, a lot of you really do not know a lot about my past and what made me start my business. When we're starting our business, one of the things we have to learn to ask ourselves is the question, why? Why did you start this business? Why do you have a passion for this thing that you've decided to take on to make such a very big impact, not just on yourself, but on those in which your product or service is desired to deliver or be delivered to? So today, I'm going to take the time to kind of give you a little bit of my background, but also talk to you about some of the things that I've seen over my entire professional career extending over 34 years. And so I want to, some of the pitfalls and things that I've seen other business owners experience, and some of the different little things that I've seen that will allow us to expand and grow our business and some of the challenges. I'm going to refer a lot to a report every single year, American Express, puts out a report that's called the State of the Woman-Owned Business Report. And this year, I'm going to refer to a lot of the statistics that's inside of this report, um, and hopefully you'll go out and take a look at the report and pull it off and kind of glean from where do you stand and how is this making an impact on you and what you desire to do. And so, first off, Um, I will tell you that I started out on the financial side of the business. Basically, there was a Wall Street firm hired in my freshman year of college, actually. And that is my passion. Finances is my passion. I love that side of it because one of the things that it gave me the opportunity to do was work with businesses of all industries and sizes as well as individuals on all levels, and not just here in the U.S., but in other countries, too, as well. And so I ended up with a bachelor's degree in finance and in international business, too, as well. And so being in that field, I immediately ended up being promoted into management and supervisory roles. That taught me how to manage people. It taught me how to invest in people. But more importantly, it taught me how to invest in myself. Now, let's take a step back. If we look at over 34 years ago, I'm a female in a male-dominated industry. 
And let's compound that. I'm a minority female in a non-minority business. Okay? Now, I didn't highlight that for, you know, you know, what challenges or challenges. Yes, I had challenges like anyone else had challenges. But you learned or what I learned was to take those challenges or things that I may have encountered and turn it for my good. And when I say that, you can either, I mean, I had to make the decision. Either I can dwell on those that wanted to make things difficult for me, or I can put my head down and be the best me that I could be. And what I chose to do was to be the best me that I could be. Because I felt as if, and I still feel today, any challenges or anything or anyone that tries to bring something your way that goes contrary or goes against what you're trying to accomplish, if you dig deep enough and hard enough, maybe my perception is that it will teach you what's in you. It'll help you develop a toughness that you will feel like, hey, I conquered this, I can conquer that. And you also, it gets you to the point where, for me, it allowed me to know I'm the one that determined my own destination, not someone else. If someone is going to write the story, I'm going to be the one that writes the story. If I have a bad day, that's just a comma in my day. That's not the end of my story. And so I, I, my dad had a, a philosophy. Um, I grew up in a male-dominated household. I'm an only girl. Um, out of four boys, and I'm the youngest. And so obviously sports was a very big thing in our household. And so they had this concept of we play till we win. And a lot of the sports in which we did were family sports. We bowled. That was our primary thing as a family was that we bowled. And so it, it became an issue that we played till we went. We don't. We never stop and you never quit. And so for me, that becomes the fiber of my being, is not quitting, not giving up. And just so happen, those are qualities that we need as a business owner. As a business owner and, and going through the financial industry and being able to see the challenges that business owners were facing, especially those that were female. 34 years ago, there were not very many female-owned businesses. Compared to today, we make up a huge part of not just the marketplace, but also the number of businesses that are being opened on a year-to-year -year basis or daily basis, most of them are being opened by women-owned businesses. In fact, when we look at the American Express uh, report, it states that between the years of 2014 and 2019, the number of women-owned businesses climbed 21% to a nearly total of 13 million businesses compared to just a general increase of just 9% overall of just any businesses outside of being woman-owned. That's a huge number. And to realize that women are really beginning to 
make an impact on our overall economy as a country. And so are there barriers? Absolutely there are barriers. Over this 34-year period, I've seen where women had to, women struggled when it came to finances and understanding the finances, and they still struggle today. And I think one of the most rewarding things that I find in my business or, or with my background is being able to assist women in understanding their financials. And I can tell you that having male-owned businesses and them going in to receive a loan um, for those, you know, it was a lot easier for them to understand the finances or project or have this image in some cases it was just an image that they understood the finances. It was easier for them. And in some cases, it was just a given. You're a guy. You're okay. I've even had instances where it was a woman-owned business and bankers actually asked them to bring in their husband into the meeting. And they looked to the husband to explain the finances of the business instead of the woman-owned business. And so with those things, we have to be able, I think we're starting to change that narrative because women are beginning to understand their financials. Women are creating dashboards for themselves. And so um, as we progress or as I progress along the lines of, of what made me start uh, my business, uh, was basically I started to think about what is it that I wanted to do in retirement. Now, the original, the, all while uh, during my employment there within the financial sector, I had what they call and they refer to in the American Express Report as side entrepreneurs, where basically now some of them call it gig economies, where I had a training business. And it was just something that I did as a DBA, for those that have known me, you know, really know me, um, there that know that my faith plays a very large part in who I am as a person. And so I have a business. The business is called, uh, as a DBA, El Shaddai. And so for those of you that uh, do not know what the name means or how I came up with the name, El means God, Shadow means Almighty. And when you look at that and take it, break it down into the different languages that it means, and it's a, one of the 12 redemptive names of God. And so the meaning breaks down to is that I am the God that is able to constrain natural law and make it go against itself, whatever the things in which my children need. And so by me... Being a person that heavily relies on their faith, um, it was a name that I've always been attracted to. Okay. And so as a DBA, it was fine for me to carry that name um, as a business. It wasn't something that I was looking at something long-term. It was a side entrepreneur. So just something on the side, not a primary income um, they're coming from the business or anything at all. So by the speed up a little bit, and by the time that I made a connection with someone at the SBA through a client, 
um, they started to discuss with me that the fact that business owners really needed my era of expertise in human resources as well as finance equally. And so as I began to realize what they were stating was true, now I have to make the decision. Am I going to be and remain a sidepreneur or was I going to venture out and become a full entrepreneur um, and take all of the things that come with that? And I made the decision to become a full entrepreneur, obviously. And so with that comes, there has to be a name change. I can't keep it El Shaddai because people really don't know what it is that we do. And so when I changed the name, a number of people have come to know us as El Shaddai, but they're like, oh, my God, you, you, you changed your business. Are you doing something different and all of those different things? And so you may have seen our name change go from um, Everything a Child Powered by El Shaddai Consulting, just so that people could get the opportunity to um, see the name change. And I say all of that because... A number of, in the American Express report, it actually talks about how women, the women-owned businesses still, when it comes to revenue, do not have the same revenue levels or sizes as others, especially those that are minorities. And I know I've had this conversation uh, with others. In fact, they're my businesses, minority-owned certified. And we've kind of tried to figure out why is that. And for some, they may not have gone through that transition of are you really positioning your business to succeed from the name and everything else, all the marketing and everything that goes along with that. And so although I'm, I'm very much a person of faith and I don't talk about my faith or anything like that. I, I believe in being one of those individuals that just live it and don't have to talk it. Um, but you have to go through the steps of what will make my business successful and to realize who is your customer. Do understand that minority-owned businesses in this day and time are outpacing those that are their counterparts that are non-minority by the tune of $422 billion. But those women-owned businesses that are non-minority, their estimated annual revenue is $1.4 trillion. That is a very big difference. And so when we look at why is there such a huge difference in the two, because if we can grow that minority-owned business-based revenue, we can contribute so much more to the U.S. economy, as well as there are so many more jobs that we're able to actually offer and extend uh, out within our communities to where we have full employment. And so one of the things that I will say, as a minority-owned business, you have to learn how to value your own business. And when I say that, I say it in terms of realizing that 
everyone may not value your product or service. So you have to be able to know that you're pricing your product or service according to what market demand. Otherwise, you will always encounter those that want to undercut your price. You do not have to be the lowest price out there in the market to succeed. But you do have to be competitive. And so when I say being competitive, you, don't, you should not be the highest and you should not be the lowest. But your product and service should be that of a quality that you are competitive with anyone that's out there providing the same or similar products or services that you, you're providing. And that means, and not just investing in your product or service, it also means investing in yourself. One of the things that I took on and that I did there on the financial side of the business, which is called Everything HR Financial Services, and that's where we provide the financial services side to businesses and organizations, be it from an investment standpoint or benefits or employer-owned insurances or employee insurances, whether they need the medical and the life and all those different things. But there also is a consultation to get you to understand your numbers, your financials. So there's a financial advisory side there. Where I act as a registered, I am a registered investment advisor. And so, getting you to understand your numbers, when I talk to business owners about that, I talk to them about that in terms of investing not in yourself. And what I mean by that, you have to stop and take the time and invest in yourself before you can ever ask someone else to invest in you. If you go to take out a loan at a bank or you go to respond to an RFP, one of the things that they will ask you for is the resume of the owners. That resume, should, what they're looking for is for that resume to show them what have you done to make yourself successful? Because they want to make sure that you've taken the time to invest in yourself before you ask them to invest in you. And so they want to make sure you have skin in the game. Because if you haven't taken the time to invest in yourself, they don't feel like they should be the ones to take that first step. And so one of those ways of doing that is getting to know your financials, getting to know what you've set a budget, not just for your own personal household, but you've also set a budget for your business in every area and department of your business. You have an operating budget. You have. What are your goals for your business? In your business plan, and you've heard us say this a number of times on this program, your business plan should be that of a living document, a document in which you're going back and you're addressing on a continuous basis and making whatever adjustments and changes that need to be made accordingly to what's going on or happening within your business and the market itself. And so 
One of the things that I learned very on, very early um, lesson, was majority of my client base on the financial side was male. I, right, majority of my client base were all males. They come into the office and we talk. But one of the things that I asked them, would always ask them to do, was if they were married, I would always ask them at a bare minimum that we have at least an annual meeting, or if I was just starting out a new relationship, I would ask that particular uh, male to bring their wife into the meeting. And I would explain to them that the wife does not have to run the investments or the accounts or anything of that nature, but they do need to understand what you have established and what you're setting up. Because there are times that I have seen women that have come in to my office and the male either passed away or became incapacitated and they didn't even know how to write a check. I kid you not. I pause them to that. It is very true. They did not know how to handle any of the finances, how to pay any of the bills or what bills actually existed because they were never involved and they never had a desire to be involved. And so one of my things, and I felt responsible as a financial advisor to make certain that I created a winning relationship, not just with that male that I was gonna have more interaction over the account with, but also with that female. Because life does happen to everyone. No one is excluded from life happening to them. But I wanted to be certain that if life ever happened to any of my client base, that they were prepared, that they could properly grieve if needed to grieve or properly take care of their husband if they needed to be there from a support system and realize that they could actually handle the finances without there being any upheaval or any added stress to their life, okay? And so for that side of my business, it's always been pretty much established and set, and it's pretty self-run. But that is definitely the area of my passion. So when I talk to individuals um, about their human resource needs, I talk to them from a financial standpoint. I talk to them to allow them to realize that their employee base is the most valuable asset that they have because it's those individuals that they need to get their product or service out to market. But at that same time, yes, the employees are the biggest thing that you carry on your books as a liability. And so I talked to them about doing a strategic plan and allowing that strategic plan to make this a win-win relationship. There are business owners that, especially, you know, male and female, because we sacrifice so much and because this type of life as an entrepreneur can have so many roller coaster rides to it within any given day, if you want to call it that. Some can become very bitter when it comes to the employee-employer relationship. 
and you have employees that feel like they've been burned by their employer. If you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, you cannot fall into that trap. And if you have, I beg you to find a way out. Because you must establish an employer-employee relationship where trust is the foundation of it. And you can't trust someone you don't spend time with and you don't know. And trust is built up over time. There has to be transparency. Because you need those employees to get your product and service out to market. And the employees need you to supply them with their livelihood. And so there takes an education side to that. One of the wonderful things that as a woman-owned business that you can also do for yourself is to learn your management style. Learn how to, once you learn it, how do you adapt that with the individuals that you may come in contact with? Not just from your employee base that you're managing, but also when you go in to ask for that loan, your interaction with those, that plays a very huge part. Not to mention when you take the time to invest in your own management style and yourself in developing that, that is something you get to add to that resume. So when you go in for funding and they can see that, you've invested in yourself. They're more willing to take a chance on you in allowing you the opportunity to expand your business. Because the report also talks about we know that access to funding is one of the biggest things that hold women-owned businesses back. Women-owned businesses are not as, as, has as many ventures or attract many venture capitalists as their male counterparts do. And one of those reasons is basically most venture capitalists, they're looking for, they want to look at your financials. They want to look at your ability to manage and how have you managed um, there in the past and what have you done. Um, with your management style, with the company itself, what is your vision or plan for the company to grow the company? And so when it comes to our training aspect, the Everything HR Talent Development Institute, our leadership model is, is designed to help you over a course of, of, of years develop your management style and learn how to adjust your management style based on the environment that you're in or whatever that you're going after or whatever type of employee that you're dealing with or even customer. We're going to encounter customers and employees as well as those that are out in the business community with a number of different personalities. And we're all a makeup of, of, of our environment. And so, with that being said, it's up to us to adjust ourselves. We can't expect someone else to change to accommodate us. We have to be willing to meet individuals where they're at because we can only change ourselves, and that's what helps in practice. We cannot change someone else. And so, we have to understand 
that it's imperative for us to look at our financials, look at our business model, as well as where do we want to take our business. And so as we come to the halfway mark, I'm going to do a quick recap, um, right quick, where we talked about, number one, investing in yourself. That's probably the biggest thing that I can actually tell you from this segment um, there, as well as we've talked about how women-owned businesses make us the majority of, of businesses that are being opened um, throughout the country and how minority-owned businesses make up $422 billion um, of revenue. But their, their counterparts that are non-minority make up $1.4 trillion. And if we can make a desire to grow both of those numbers, women will become a very big part of the U.S. economy in the years to come. This information that I'm actually talking about or the numbers I'm pulling from is coming from the American Express, the State of the Women-Owned Business uh, Report for 2019. And so it's out there. Definitely go out there. It gives you a breakdown per industry as to what the industry averages are. Um, it's very enlightening um, to give you that information in order to continue to grow your business and where your business fall within the report itself. And so I highly recommend that. Um, I'm going to take a very quick break right quick, and then we're going to come right back, and we're going to actually dive into some of the things that you can do or you may have encountered um, there within your business. Now, do understand that when we open up or, or start our business, um, I discussed making the decision or making the transition from being a sidepreneur to actually becoming a full-fledged business. I first had to determine why. Why do I want to start this? I have a career on the financial side of the business. It's a very good living. I can have it forever um, and still make six figures and, and be fine. Um, but it was something that for me, it got to the point where although I love the industry, I wanted more of a challenge. I am a person that is driven by challenging myself. Being able to, I love the aspect of being involved and seeing others succeed. And so when I made a decision at the time, it was involved training um, and getting others trained. But then when I realized that I'm able to help other business owners when it came to human resources, and when I mean that, I mean being a resource, a real human resource, knowing that with my background in particular, the value that I can add to other business owners was very appealing to me. Now, if I can say this for a moment, going back and talking about valuing your business and making sure that you're competitive, because I love what it is that I do, I act as a consultant all the time. If you want to find the number one thing that within my household that they will complain about, 
is me giving away free information. And so, and I will do it on a consistent basis, but then at times I will stop because people only value what they pay for. And I know that. And so I have to let some business owners know that I'm in business because to generate revenue. I can't stay in business unless there's revenue coming in. I desire to help, but my desire to help has to come with revenue. And so that means I have to end up putting you on our books in order for us to continue this relationship. Now, I told you that because for females, and I'm saying this for females, there are males that do the same. For females, they're givers. There are a lot of females that are just plain givers. And with that, giving, you reduce your revenue. Your revenue is lower because you're giving out more of your services instead of you being compensated for those services. And that's probably through my financial experience as well as my HR experience as well as working with women-owned businesses there with our, within our networking groups and, and the relationships that we've established, yes, on a very frequent basis, I end up talking to them about you can't give away everything. That's not why you came into business. And for some of them, it's very hard for them to actually see the worst or the value in their product or service that they're delivering. And so they will allow others to devalue their product or service by not wanting to pay them market rate. But they will take their advice for free. And I'm pausing because I, if you're a woman-owned business and that's you, I really want you to think about why did you start the business? Because if you believed in the business and you believe in yourself, that should be reflected in your rate or the pricing of your product and or your service. And with that being said, do understand every customer is not designed to be your customer. Your business will get to a point, such as mine has, I realized I cannot serve everybody. I was not designed or in business to serve everybody. I have a desire to help everybody, but that's not really possible. And so for us, for me, making the decision to have things on my website, to have this podcast, things that people are able to provide them with resources that are complementary, that's my way of giving back. That's my way of being a resource to others that may not be able to afford our product or services. And for those that may not be able to afford it, they glean from it. Hopefully they'll remember when they do get to that point or that stage or that level where they can't afford our products or services, 
then they will become a client or customer at that time. But until then, I have to be able to grow my business if I'm going to remain in the marketplace, if I'm going to remain competitive. I have to also realize change comes to everyone and everything. And so if I have not built a solid foundation for my business, I cannot remain competitive in the market. I cannot remain competitive in, in where I'm able to not just continue to invest in myself, but also invest there in the business itself and grow our product and service line. And so I'll say this again. Make certain that you are valuing your product and your service for what it's really worth. Because as a female, if you are a giver, that's one of the reasons why our revenues are much lower than that of our male counterparts. Not very many people go to guys and expect them to give away their product or service. But when it comes to a female, and because we have that giving nature, at times they want it at a reduced rate or would desire it at a reduced rate. And that's one of the biggest reasons that I've seen over the years, your revenues are much lower than your male counterpart. Now, um, one of the other things that I see a lack of is the fact that a lot of women put limits on themselves. And when I say that, they put limits on their growth, on their exposure um, to or for their business. Instead of learning how to properly promote their business and promote themselves for their business, look at where, where can their product or service be distributed. Um, how can you obtain other customers or clients? Because if you're first starting out, you're, you're the salesperson. You're always it. And you have to always, always track and bring in new customers. That's one of the things that on the financial side of my business, I've, I've always known. You must have. I'm 100% commissioned, so I understand. You know, if, if you... You only receive, your paycheck only reflects the work that you've done. You can come to work all day long, and if it's just busy work, at the end of the day, doing things that do not generate um, income, it's just busy work. And so you have to be able to manage your time and make sure that your time and the things that you're doing are things that actually lead to revenue being generated. And so sometimes that means planning out your day, planning out your day to make sure that your day is more filled with things that will be revenue generating than things that's going to be filling it up with more of an administrative task that is non-revenue generating. And stopping to think about, is it more beneficial for you to outsource that to another company or to an employee or hire an employee to do, handle those administrative tasks 
um, especially if you are the primary salesperson or face of the company. Um, what is it? Because there must be revenue generated in order for there to be a company that's viable and sustainable. The other uh, thing that I see a lot of, too, as well, I see a lot of um, women-owned businesses that put off savings for not just the business, but also for their own retirement. Um, and this is twofold. Obviously, on the financial side, I was able to see, you know, yes, women would take time off from work um, to have children, um, and males do the same. They would take their paternity leave, too, as well. But the paternity leave was never as long as the maternity leave. Um, most women would take extra time off, where during that time frame, they're not preparing for a retirement. And so they had to, to find ways in order for them to catch up. Fast forward that a little bit more, if you look at it from a woman-owned business side, um, most women will take everything that they have and invest in their business and not set anything aside, assuming that at some point in that business life cycle, they will begin to save for retirement or they will feel as if they'll be able to sell the business and that sell of the business will prepare or be their retirement. The problem with that is you don't know what the value of the business would be at that time you decide to retire and or become incapacitated. Neither do you know the state of, of the economy during that time frame. And so you must be able to set aside something out of all of your income or revenue that you generate. You must also take the time to invest in yourself that way too as well. The other thing that I highly recommend that a woman-owned business also do is you, there is a way to create your own line of credit. And when I say that, I say it in terms of every dollar that your business take in, a portion of that dollar should be set aside for your business as a savings. You have the ability to create your own working capital. Now, I understand that, you know, one of the biggest things small business owners, and I'm not just going to say small business owners, every business, regardless of your size, cash flow can become a problem. But if you try to make it a habit, it does not have to be a large amount because compounding come into place where you are able to set aside something from every dollar of revenue you can have that working capital, as well as you're able to have your own line of credit. So when times come and cash flow or the, the accounts receivables are pretty spread out, you have the opportunity to continue to, to go on because you have this working capital already set aside. Not to mention, it is much 
easier to get a loan from a financial institution if they can see that you already have cash available or the very best time for you to obtain a loan is when you don't need a loan and you have assets, be it in equipment and or your own working capital and savings and revenues in which you have. That is the best time for you to obtain a loan from a financial institution. That financial institution will look at not only your personal credit rating, but also the credit rating of your business. Most women-owned businesses have not thought to separate their personal finances from the business finances. You need for the business to be able to stand on its own financially, which means you have to build up a credit rating for the business itself. Okay? And once you build up a credit rating for the business, now... The two can be separated, and the business will have its own credit rating, separate from that of your own, and that's what you want to strive for. Again, the best time to apply for a loan is when you do not need it. When a bank look at your current assets and your current ratings, of your business itself, and if you have that established credit rating, you're establishing one for yourself, and they see that you have money in the bank. You're not taking your, your money down below whatever their minimum balance if they have one, that there's consistent money there in a checking or savings account for the business. They will extend a line of credit to you. Okay, and so that's one of the primary things that you want to do. The biggest thing that I see, um, too, as well along those lines, is the fact that not having access to capital prevents a lot of women-owned businesses from expanding into areas that they desire to expand or, number one, not allowing them to have the quality or competitive product or service that they really need because they don't have access to capital to either to have the distributors in which they may need to make a better product or service or be more competitive. And so if you start out trying to, you know, have this set aside your own working capital or build up your own working capital um, to, that, to the point where you have something set aside for yourself, yes, venture capitalists as well as other financial institutions will see that you've taken the time to invest in the business in and of itself and that you've worked on your financials, you understand your financials, you understand your operating costs, and what it takes for you from a month to month to be profitable, and that you are able to have your projections, 
and how you compare to your, your competitors. That is the information that every capital venture capitalist and or banker wants to hear when you go into their office and you're looking to take out a loan to expand or whatever um, it is that you may desire to do. And so if you do have a partner or you do have someone else that is a male uh, in that business but they are not the primary owner, and what defines a woman-owned business, I must say, is an individual that owns 51% or more of that business. If you own 51% or more of that business, it is considered to be a woman-owned business. And if you go into a meeting and you're stating that you are a woman-owned business, I highly recommend that you make sure that you're the one that's directing and leading that meeting and not that male counterpart, okay? Because if you do that, the image you will get is that she's not running the business, he is. And I've actually heard bankers and suppliers actually say that, that the male was running the business and that basically the female was not involved and does not understand the business. And not only does, do they not end up getting the contract or the loan, but it also hurts your reputation because they look at you as being not the one that's in charge, but someone else's. And so if I had to encourage um, you, the things that I would probably leave you with today would be number one, make certain you know your business inside and out. Number two, and I should probably say that should be number two, number one, make sure you know yourself inside and out. Because once you know yourself inside and out, then you can have the time to know why you started your business and why your business is so much of an importance to you and where you want to take it. And so getting to know it inside and out. Because you will have challenges. It's inevitable. Everyone has challenges within their business. Regardless of the industry, regardless of the size. And if you don't know who you are and why you started that business, and you don't know that business inside and out, you will end up being one of those statistics that do not survive. And so I highly encourage you to invest in yourself. That's probably the biggest thing that I continue to say. Invest in yourself before you ask someone else to invest in you. The next thing that I would highly recommend that you do is stop and take the time to get to know your financials. We're coming up to the end of the, the year. If you have not already started planning for the next year, Sit down and start planning for the next year. Meet with your accountant. What tax things do you need not just prepare for the end this last quarter, but also for the next year? What things should you be doing? Stop. Meet with all of those other trusted advisors, being an attorney. I just met with mine a couple of weeks ago. 
And you should have different attorneys handling different things because within their areas of expertise, be it from a state of planning, a state planning attorney, a business attorney, making certain that you have all of your I's dotted and all of your T's crossed. We start a business as women-owned businesses, and for any business, we, we set it as being an LLC or a corporation or an S-Corp, and we do all of those things, not just from a liability standpoint, but if you're growing a business for that business to go on for the next 100 years, realizing that it should outlive us. So making certain that you've set up the proper foundation to make sure that that business outlives you. Because a lot of us go into business to end up building a business up to the point where, guess what, we don't have to be there on every, from a day-to-day -day standpoint. We're able to realize the business, we've built a strong enough foundation that the business is running itself. Isn't that the place that we're all striving to get to as a woman-owned business? Now, this next statement is going to sound very, very strange coming from me being an HR. This next statement is basically learning that there is no real such thing as work-life balance for a business owner. You have to realize and, and know that you have a strong enough relationship with your family to know that when you're with them, you are with them, nothing else. You're with them. You're enjoying them during that time frame. And you're giving them your full attention and you're fully involved. Because if you don't do that, there are going to be times when that business will make you feel guilty that you're taking time away from your household and away from your family. And so you have to be able to separate the two so that you emotionally do not get caught up in trying to create a false narrative as to a work-life balance. And so you have to come up with what that is. But realize, being fully engaged in that moment with your family, doing the things that, that your family enjoys to do, and not having work at the center or realizing you got to do something for work or you're sacrificing something for your, your, from your family to, to be at work or to go to a meeting, you have to understand that you, you have to create your own narrative as to what work-life balance is. Okay? And so I truly hope that each of you have gotten something, that I'm able to say something to you that will help you along this journey as being a woman-owned business. Um, obviously, if we are able to improve our revenue share um, within the, the U.S. economy and beyond, I mean, there are a number of women-owned businesses that, yes, maybe we do need to strive for growing outside of the U.S. just as much as our male counterpart. And so if I can say anything throughout for, for today, Invest in yourself and take the limits off of yourself. If you're putting yourself in a box, we have this saying, think outside the box. I feel like there should not be a box because if you're outside of the box, 
you are still limiting yourself. And so there should not be any limit, no box at all. There should not be any limit or the, as far as what it is that you want to try to accomplish and to do. And so have a great day. I thank you so very much for joining me this morning. And if you have any other questions, feel free to give me a call at 586-461-1400 or shoot me an email at support at everythinghr.net. That's support at everythinghr.net. Have a great day and continue to celebrate this month as being Women-Owned Business Month.